Welcome to episode 21 of the Strategic Momentum Podcast. I'm your host, Connie Steele. Technology has given consumers more power and options than ever before. And as a result, businesses need to stay on top of what they want, need, and how they behave in order to create those experiences that align to their needs. If you don't, these consumers will move on to another company that offers something they do want. Today's guest is Stephanie Balderrama, president of Consumer Insights Group. She has been on the forefront of understanding technology's impact on consumer behavior since the early days of the internet. Stephanie has seen firsthand how traditional research methods became too slow and limiting to be effective. This compelled her to develop new methodologies similar to today's iterative approach. We discuss how businesses are still struggling with conducting research and what your organization can do to get a better understanding of them, particularly in today's agile environments. Thanks, Stephanie, for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So, Stephanie, you have been studying consumer behavior from a digital perspective really since the internet took off back in the early 90s uh, when you were at AOL. So, it'd be great if you could tell us about your career journey and how that led you to where you are today. Well, uh, like you said, it was, and not that I like to admit it because that makes me feel really old, but um, yeah, it started back in the early 90s. I was studying cognitive science and human factors and AOL came calling because I, I just had this kind of mix of things that I was studying uh, in college at the time that wasn't quite sure what to do with, but quite frankly, fit right in the realm of what they were doing um, in terms of trying to understand consumers and take what had been an otherwise very, for lack of a better term, uh, high-end user or geek and make it mass market, make it something um, that people would integrate into their lives. So it really came down to understanding consumers and understanding what makes them work and the triggers and, and how that might happen in terms of integrating this technology. So I met with Allison Muff at the time and talked with her about some of the stuff they were doing and, and started working with her. And then after she left, I inherited uh, the team and, and continued to grow it from there. So it was kind of a thrown into the fire scenario, uh, coming from a very academic background and then right into the, again, the, the battleground of development. <laughs> and since then, you have gone off and started your own research firm as well. And what led you down that path to be an entrepreneur? It was actually kind of a perfect storm. I'd been at AOL for about 13 years. It was an amazing experience. I mean, just the research that we got to do there was just phenomenal and exciting. So there was really, up until that point, no reason to go because it was just constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly new challenges. So just from a intellectually stimulating place to work, it was amazing. Uh, just great people, you know, the smartest that were out there at the time. And it was just, it was phenomenal. But the time uh, that I left, things were just really shifting. There was less of a um, emphasis on on research and development, uh, more of a uh, emphasis on content, and and they were just kind of going a different path. Uh, and it just seemed at the time a good time to part ways. So I decided at the time I had the opportunity to either go to yet another company or go off on my own. And quite frankly, I was hard pressed to find a company that what I would have found is, is stimulating and interesting as um, the work we had done at AOL. So I thought time for a new challenge. Let's try to 
let's see what we can do out there uh, on our own and, and kind of looking at um, all these various companies. And it was a scary but exciting prospect. Great. So back at AOL, you were really, again, we talked about you being on the forefront of changing consumer behavior. So how did you approach gathering consumer insights back in those days? And and what was your mindset in terms of how to best gather those? Because the internet fundamentally changed the, changed the way consumers behave from the moment it launched. And its ongoing evolution to create today's digital world has certainly resulted in continuous changes to how people communicate, interact, and use things every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean... Initially, quite frankly, the initial reaction was to try the the tricks of old, the you know just standard interviews and focus groups and market research as you traditionally know it. I mean, again, when I first entered, I was coming in from a very academic background. But then once you got there, you just realized that you know what you don't have a year to study things, and you can't spend thirty days going out and studying everybody, and that the timing wasn't there. So it really came down to how do we take what we know in terms of techniques and just really rethink them with the realities of, of what we need to accomplish for these development schedules. And uh, I mean, because at the time, AOL, you, you know, even though it was described from a development standpoint as a waterfall approach at the time, they were working on different things all the time and, and, and just really just pumping things out. They were a machine in terms of, of building things. So we really had to find a way be just very fluid and be in line with what they were doing. And again, that very traditional market research approach really wasn't fitting well. Uh, you know, it became that research was becoming kind of the cog in the wheel in terms, instead of, you know, the, the fluid that kept things going. And so it really came down to how do we become a, a better partner uh, with our uh, designers and developers uh, and the ability to give them the information they need in a more timely but reliable fashion. You know, it, it, it couldn't just be timely and then, you know, crap for research. It had to be viable, actionable research, but that we could do um, quickly and, and just more efficiently. So we literally spent years just kind of fine-tuning methodologies and, and whittling it down to what a lot of people describe today as a, a more agile approach. We really, at the time, and, and even today, consider it just more of an iterative approach. We kind of backed everyone off the idea of these super large studies and, and just kind of reeled it in and just did much more small, as you go, iterative, which, you know, cumulative adds up to a number of people. But instead of going in with one shot and waiting for one big study and one big report, doing these quick hits as you go, which gave you that constant touch point with consumers. And we just found at the end of the day, uh, not only was it more efficient um, from a timing standpoint, more efficient from a cost standpoint, but we were getting far more reliable data. So we just spent, you know, a decade tweaking that. And what was amazing then is, you know, the technologies took hold, and we were able to get people to adapt uh, instant messaging and 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 mobile tech uh, mobile technology evolved and such. We were able to actually use digital to help influence that even more. Uh, because taking advantage of, you know, obviously the technologies, we could evolve our techniques through those technologies, which just gave us, just made it even more efficient and, and quite frankly, was able to get us in and a part of people's lives in a way we never had been able to before. And I know one of those specific tools and resources that you created, having had the pleasure of working with you, was the AOL Usability Lab. So tell us just a little bit about that too. Well, we've found that, again, with these kind of iterative 
set up this kind of iterative approach that that we um, that we put together. We actually started very grassroots, just kind of taking over a few office spaces in in one of our buildings and turning it into a, a mock lab. And but once we showed the viability of the research and and the sustain the sustainability of it, um, we actually were able to get the company to invest in an actual user lab, which was phenomenal. So we were able to build out real observation rooms, which you know uh, enabled us to have uh, the people on site participate more. Um, you know, so if they were working on it, they could sit in the back room and really see consumers and be involved in that. You know, just traditional um, lab type setup. But in addition, we were also able to incorporate additional technologies like eye tracking and neuroscience and things like that very early on and start to get these really cool lenses um, that others just weren't into. It was cost prohibitive, but at the time, you know, AOL was at the height of its being. So we were able to invest in these things and just we were seeing things at a level um, that others weren't. And kind of forgot that in terms of, you know, the outside world wasn't quite looking at things to the degree we were, but the insights we had were just awesome. And it really gave us a sense of how people were utilizing screens and how people were um, truly taking in and the impact of layout versus design. And again, it, it just allowed us to really dig deep in terms of understanding consumers. Uh, and that was, again, in, in a lab-based scenario, but we also were able to take that outside of the lab um, and do kind of quick hit ethnographic research using, again, some of these digital technologies that would let us be with the consumer at all times, kind of a fly on the wall of their shadow with us, without us actually having to be there, which was really, really cool. So the, the lab was great and uh, just a great first step in terms of solidifying research as a, a protocol within the company. It, it kind of gave it a legitimate, uh, a legitimate nature that it really needed. And it went from being kind of a novelty to a fundamental part of how things were designed, developed through AOL. And the products were better for it. So fast forward to today, where digital is really ubiquitous. And honestly, digital and technology is the business. With the proliferation of devices, communication technology platforms, how are companies trying to keep up with trying to understand consumer interaction against these outlets? Well, they're struggling for sure. It's one of these things where it, it still surprises me to a degree. But as I said, to kind of understand these evolving behaviors, I mean, the internet started as a revolution. And as the revolution's over, it's here. But now it's continually evolving. And you find that companies today, and it's not so much companies that are new. If they're new, then you know they're born into this and so they seem to be adapting better. But what we find are the, the larger companies, the more established brands are really still struggling uh, to understand their place and, and their proper strategy in, in the digital world. You know, they kind of have this checkbox or this list with checkbox next to it. Well, if we have social media, yeah, and we've got something on mobile and, oh yeah, we're doing a little SEO over here, then, you know, somehow that's just going to work without fundamentally understanding where their brand has permission to play in this kind of digital realm. So we find that, you know, they're still very tied um, to the thoughts and beliefs of pre-digital and are just having a hard time really shifting gears and understanding that their brand doesn't necessarily count for as much as it used to. It's not just about what they want as a business, but it's about truly what the consumers want. And, and if they're not in line and on point with what those consumer needs are, 
that their chances of success and growth going forward is going to be minimized tremendously. I want to emphasize Stephanie's point around how traditional market research approaches are limiting in today's digital world. It didn't fully align to the needs and business dynamics at AOL back in the 90s, and it certainly isn't optimal for any company in 2018. But companies are still struggling to adapt. And a result, they're not in line with what their consumers' needs are with every passing day. So let's hear from Stephanie on what else she feels companies are doing that is limiting their ability to fully understand their consumer and what else you can do to improve both the quality and efficiency of these efforts. Well, I think part of the issue is is not so much what research they're doing, it's what research they're not doing. There's a lot of emphasis on, you know, the the offline studies that they used to do. What we find, and this is shifting some, but, you know, for too long, which is kind of what's put them behind the ball, you know, digital was just kind of the little, okay, we're doing digital, but it was this little siloed entity off to the right, you know, and, and the rest of the focus and most of the budget went to business as usual, as opposed to kind of thinking about digital holistic, holistically across the company. Um, again, it was just like, okay, we've got digital, but it wasn't married or threaded in uh, with the core of, of what was being done. So things weren't being thought about from a digital perspective, or if they were, it was minimized or or kind of relegated to a nice to have as opposed to a core or a must have. And so unfortunately now you're seeing they're starting to get that picture a bit more of how important that is. Um, but now trying to get their head around it and 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 in such a instead of being proactive and, and they're in such a reactive state at this time it all feels a bit overwhelming. So it seems like they don't really know where to begin. In most cases, our advice is we go in and it's like, take a step back and make sure that you truly understand your target audience of today and what they're doing and what platforms they're using and why they're using it and when they're using it and how you can be a part of that. So, I mean, it used to be when, even when this first started, you could build something and people would come to it. Now it's, ever more important that you understand where people are and you go to them. Uh, and that's something that, you know, quite frankly, the big brands have to get off their pedestal and accept. They just assume, you know, we're so-and-so and you're just going to come to us. Uh, and that's not really the case. So they need to figure out how to involve themselves in these people's lives in an effective way. And again, that starts with going back and making sure that they truly understand the consumers they're trying to serve. We find a lot of companies rely way too much on quant. You know, one big study tells them everything they need to know, and that's so far from the truth. Um, to truly understand what's going on, you need multiple lenses, and quant is one of them, but it's not the only one. No survey can tell you everything. Uh, if it could, uh, I'd own an island somewhere and invite you to join me there. It's just, <laughs> it's not, uh, it's just not possible. But the problem is, they think it is. They think that they they get these numbers and they assume they know these consumers. And the consumers are far beyond a number. Um, you know, they have flesh and emotion and 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 desires and needs. And, and making sure you understand the crux of that, making sure that you truly understand the people behind the numbers is important. So that marriage of qual and quant, quantitative research and qualitative research, is more important today than ever. Because a lot of times you find that users, especially in the world where things automatically happen and, and they have such um, carved out 
niche approaches to things. They're not always cognizant of what's truly driving their behavior, what's truly driving their needs. And so if you base your action solely off what they are cognizant of, your chances are missing a huge part of the picture. So you need to back up and see what you can see for yourself in addition to what their perception and, and their mental reality is and the physical reality. You have to marry those two. And and unfortunately, quantitative really gives you more of the, the perceptional reality. And even if you're looking at the tracking numbers, which isn't even their perception, it's the reality of what they're doing. You're not understanding why they're doing it, which is so important when you're trying to get strategic. So I find it scary that um, a lot of people are just throwing their budget into you know these huge blown up studies so that they can say you know well fifteen pe- or you know five thousand people thought this so that must be the answer. You see the baby get thrown out with the bathwater so many times and and companies lose the opportunity to truly optimize or differentiate uh, because they just didn't take a minute to step back and dig uh, dig in and and make sure that they truly understand what those numbers mean. And so one key thing that you said is that you just have to be really cognizant of what they're doing so that you don't miss out on opportunities. So it seems like it's a great fit, you know, your your approach and your philosophy to how organizations need to think about gathering consumer insights um, is really very well aligned to today's world where agile happens to be the buzzword of the moment, taking a test and learn approach is really all nouveau. But the reality is that this is something that you always had to do if you wanted to keep up with the ever-changing consumer behavior. Right. And and the theme is what what's scary. People were really honestly pretty much forced into agile. I mean, there are benefits to agile, but the fact is things are evolving so quickly. If you take a year to launch something, it's already past date. So I the idea of getting things to market quickly and the fact that agile allows for that obviously makes sense. But unfortunately what's come along with that is a mentality that, well, there's either one, not time for research. Or number two, any research that you do has got to be this um, quick, dirty, you know, less than viable in terms of could you really stand behind those findings results like hallway tests and uh, let's pass it around to the office and see what they think uh, as opposed to truly going back to consumers. So the idea of getting things quick to market should in no way mean that uh, that's an excuse uh, for forgoing like true consumer research and making sure that you are really tied in with uh, consumers and their needs and such. And I know that there's quick hit products to do that and things like that, which is great. But the idea here being that quick does not does not mean diminished results in terms of your research. It shouldn't. And if it does, then don't bother to do the research because you're still just throwing spaghetti at the wall if you're coming in with you know responses that you can't necessarily stand behind or really aren't representative of the audiences you're trying to serve as a whole. So... The idea here is, yeah, the approaches that we developed much early on definitely fall in the vein of, of what's needed today. But quite frankly, also prove that you don't have to go to those kind of makeshift models to get viable research to support what you're building. And it also doesn't mean that you have to blow your entire budget uh, on overpriced research to do it. And, you know, these smaller studies again get you viable research, but they also, as I said, have a uh, though we weren't really concerned about it at the time, nowadays, you know, for for many companies, budget is a concern, and and so these are very cost effective ways of, of getting at very viable research. 
And one thing that really resonated with what you just said is that there really can be a balance between speed, developing smaller studies, but yet they really still need to be methodologically sound because exactly it's very possible. But you know, as you pointed out with some of these other quick and dirty services, like the ability to create your own survey, which we all know a lot of people do, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to get that feedback. But if folks aren't aware of the biases that you can introduce and some of the notion of if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out, then the data that you get is not going to be helpful at all. So how do you even coach some of your clients on that? Because I wouldn't be surprised. They're like, well, I don't have any budget. Why can't I just use SurveyMonkey? Well, and, and quite frankly, we hear that a lot. But the fact is, you know, you just said it. I, I, I love that quote in terms of garbage in, garbage out. The fact is, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. You know, they'll go out, they'll try it themselves, and they're not seeing results out of it. And the concern has been that in their minds, that means that, you know, well, you, so you really don't need research. It's an impact when, in fact, if the research had been done properly, it, it could have had tremendous impact. So some recognize that, some don't. But in any case, you know, there's always going to be a level of with any company. There, there should be, a, a, you know, a level of ability to self serve. You know, you shouldn't have to bring in an expert for everything. There should be things where, you know, it's just a simple thing. I want to get a quick hit answer on, and I encourage that actually because you want stay in touch with your consumers. And and you know what, if you we're not sure about this label, what do you guys think? Or you know, quick hit questions like that. Um, Definitely, you know, self-serve. But when you're trying to get down to the foundation of it or, or when you're trying to get down to, you know, fundamentally, is this working and not working? It's always good to bring in someone that, you know, has been there, done that, seen this, not only in, in your realm but, or your uh, category, but in many other categories and can kind of help you get over some of those hiccups that you're, you're going to hit unnecessarily. So the idea here is, again, you know, it's the same reason that you, if you've got a headache, take an aspirin. If it doesn't go away, you can go see a doctor. That's the difference. It's a quick, easy thing that you can take care of yourself, do it, but also recognizing when you need, you're going to be a bit over your head or your station, you know, and bringing someone who knows a little bit more about this area than you do. Can you give us some examples of how you've applied, you know, these quick hit studies over a period of time um, that have led to those aha moments for your clients? So for example, we had a company, it was a, a well-known brand. I'll keep brand out of it, but it was a well-known brand. <laughs> and they are, it's an entertainment company and they had were about to go to market with their completely revised website. And they kind of, in terms of content, that the the bar you know off um, offline, but in terms of content, they were well known, well respected. But their digital presence presence up until that point had been pretty horrific. So they went and they had a big name design firm come in and just and they made a beautiful site. It was absolutely beautiful, something that you know you would definitely put on your wall. But it was completely not usable. Something that was not in line at all with what consumers would want to go to that site to do. You know, if I just wanted to look at something pretty, it was fine. But the the problem was that the site needed to have it had very much had purpose and a business agenda that was not going to be solved by this design. And they were literally about a month away from launch, and so really had bought us in as just as a 
let's test it so we can say we tested it and tell upper management that, you know, it was tested and all as well. And in looking at the site and in talking with them, we're just like, it, this, this is not going to test well. And, um, and literally had half the team there off and okay, fine. And I'm like, it, and this is why and told them. And so we tested it and it tested horrifically. And uh, for the reasons that we outlined, because it, quite frankly, this wasn't rocket science at that point. There were just, it just was not laid out uh, the way it needed to be. It was not serving the consumer. It felt as if no one had talked to the audience at all, which they hadn't. They decided to push the launch and we ended up spending like the next three months, like just doing check-ins, like we tweaked this and tweaked this part and did just quick hit tests at, you know, every week, adjusting this, adjusting that, making sure that things were more in line and literally took it from one, I mean, you know, the speed to this is not common, but um, took it from this thing that would have, again, failed tremendously to actually turning it into something that when it launched, set the bar for what, you know, media companies should be in that space. They just got a lot of recognition for it. And it was, you know, just in terms of satisfaction from a user standpoint was, you know, tremendous. But it was really just about getting them to step back, check with the consumer, check in with the consumer. And then once we felt like we had understood what the consumer needs were, then just pivoting and, and pulling the consumer into it and making tweaks based on that and coming out with something that not only was a really pretty site, but also a very usable site and something that was actually met the needs and all points from a consumer standpoint. So we were able to marry the two. So the idea being that you may have this, what you want your brand to be, what you want your site to be, but it's nothing if it doesn't serve the consumer. So without bringing them in and making sure that you are ultimately serving them, it, you're, you're going to miss the point. You're, you're going to miss your business objectives every time. As Stephanie tells us, the idea of getting in market quickly should in no way mean that you should forego true consumer research. Because if you put garbage in, then you get garbage out. There are cost-effective ways of getting sound research learnings in a timely fashion. Instead of conducting huge deep studies, do smaller ones over a cumulative period of time. This enables you to take a broader approach, which will really help you see the holistic picture of your consumers. Usually it's not so hard to get them to do the iterative approach. It's really backing them off the idea that they need 2,000 people to answer one question. The idea of that these smaller trends are somehow viable. I mean, obviously directional, but viable. Based on our experience, they trust we know what we're talking about, but you know, they always walk into it with a level of skepticism. But then being a part of it and seeing what they're getting out of it and seeing the improvements to the um, product and then seeing as we go the difference in reaction to the product from the consumers that we're testing, they start to see the method to the madness. So again, it will never sway everyone from the idea that you know if you don't have 2,000 answers, then it's not, it's not good research. But the fact is that this research going this route and, and again not to take away from quant has got a time and place and, and it's super valuable for many things. But in terms of optimization of a project, I, I mean one of the things we hear a lot of, well, I get it, we need to put it in front of consumers. Let's just A B test it. We're gonna we're gonna throw it in, we'll A B test so they feel like that's the solve for getting that kind of qualitative response, but still getting those quantitative numbers they want. And the problem is if you haven't done 
that proper call in advance, you're going into A-B testing uh, and you're simply getting the lesser of two evils. One may win, but it doesn't mean it's optimal. It just means it's better than the other one. So you could have, they're both crap, but this one's less crappy than the other one. So it's really a question of make sure that you truly understand and have strategically put what you're putting in front of consumers, you're putting it in front of them for a reason. And that really comes from doing that due diligence that we're talking about in terms of the, the, the smaller samples, the more iterative optimization process, and then A-B test. If you're, if you're down to two and, and you want to go from there, absolutely. But don't use A-B testing uh, to determine your complete optimization or, or determine that a design is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I love how people can now really see through their own eyes the feedback consumers have, and then the change in reaction, the pre-post and in an ongoing fashion to truly identify you know, how those insights become reality. It's, it's really taking those insights and making them immediately actionable. And I, I actually feel like as part of that, because no report that I write or any survey that we present in terms of results can break through and and really have the impact that watching a consumer use your product or attempting to understand what you're trying to say to them, literally watching that happen, that is far more educational, far more impact than anything I can put into words. So the idea of having them literally take a step back and you know, just engage with the consumer and, and, and even in an observational way, just to see, like, watch them struggle or watch them be confused or, or hear their needs and, and see how that, and then kind of watch that evolution as we start to make those shifts and changes. You really start to better understand, okay, I get it. I get what I need to do. I get where they're going with this. I get what they need. You'll never get that from a report. You'll never get that from you know a graph or a chart or any numbers presented to you. You really kind of need to... It's like, I can tell you about a movie, but it, it, it'll never be the same as seeing it for yourself. So I, it's, just, it's, it's one of those things that, that when people think about doing that, you know, unfortunately, they think that there's a huge time suck, there's a huge you know, uh, costs associated with these can all be done, you know, very quickly and, and very cost effectively. And the impact is so much more than you're going to get from anything else. Those are great words of wisdom. So what recommendations do you have for folks looking to sustain this momentum with respect to continuously understanding the consumer? I mean, my advice is, is quite frankly, and not to beat a dead horse, but to really go smaller and broader as opposed to one large, deep study. Break it out and break it out. Um, and it doesn't mean just do quality. You know, obviously, quant's got a place, but like I said, you don't need to oversaturate your sample. Just do smaller studies that kind of give you that broader perspective, that multiple lens, so that you're truly educated on the topic that you're trying to solve for, that you truly understand that these people, that these people that you're trying to serve. And again, you know, there, there just isn't one view that's going to give you that. So the idea of kind of sectioning it out, broadening your approach, it, it not only works in terms of better serving your development structure in most cases, but it better serves you in terms of understanding ultimately your audience how to be strategic, and then ultimately uh, impacting your success, uh, impacting the success of your um, business and brand as a whole. Such helpful perspective, Steph. And finally, what's the best way listeners can connect with you? 
You're welcome to go to our website. It's uh, www.cigresearch.com and and give us a call. Happy to share any insights we can and or uh, brainstorm with you on any problems or issues you're having. Thanks so much for your time today, Stephanie. Uh, It's my pleasure always, Connie. Take care. To truly understand your consumers, it takes more than a number or a statistic that you get from a study. You have to understand the people behind the numbers, such as their emotions, needs, and of course, behavior. And because their behaviors are changing so quickly, adopting an iterative approach is key because you can't rely on big, deep research studies anymore. They could take too long and may cause you to miss out on some key insights because you went too narrow and deep. Instead, go small and broad. Do quick hit studies that marry both quantitative and qualitative research. Get the important numbers, but also observe your consumers. Understand what they do, watch them struggle, learn why they're confused, and hear their needs. Remember, no one study can rule them all. Thanks for listening to the Strategic Momentum Podcast. You can connect with Stephanie on LinkedIn. And if you want to learn more about Consumer Insights Group, go to cigresearch.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also find us in the Google Play Store and Stitcher Radio. If you want to hear previous episodes or even get show notes from this episode, you can also visit us on our podcast page at flywheelassociates.com slash podcast. I'm Connie Steele, and you've been listening to the Strategic Momentum Podcast.